Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of the wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode two. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. I hope you're all doing well, despite the goings-on in the world these days. I'm, of course, talking about the COVID-19 pandemic that is wreaking a fair bit of havoc in the world, medically, socially, and financially. I hope you're all staying safe during these trying times. Also, I want to welcome any new visitors and, hopefully, subscribers coming over from the original Outcast podcast feed. So, today's the day. After far too long, the re-release of Outcast starts today with Chapter 1. If you're listening to this on the Outcast feed, don't worry. I'll be cross-posting each chapter episode on both feeds. When Outcast is over, well, we'll see what happens then. But now, without further ado, here's Chapter 1 of Outcast. Outcast. A novel. Written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 1 My name is Dallin. I had another name once, a name that was my birthright as the firstborn son to my father. It was a name he gave to me, and when the time came, I would give it to my firstborn son. It was my destiny to be a part of the line that dated back to the age of the warlords, if you believe in that sort of thing. Of course, were it not for things turning out the way they had, my destiny would have been all nice and laid out for me. However, the fact that I'm writing this should make it obvious that nice and laid out no longer apply to me. No, I lost that name of honor and the name they let me keep is little more than a death sentence if spoken in the right company. My name is Dallin, and this is my story. For twelve long, happy years, my name was Dallin Chang Calamar, second heir to the Clan of the Tiger's Paw beneath my father, Lucas Chang, and again beneath his father, Wan Chang. From the age of three, I trained in the fighting art of Katu, one of the few fighting styles befitting a Bengalan of tiger lineage like myself. Upon my father's ascension to elder, the training of future generations of my clan would fall to me. My siblings, their children, as well as my own, would learn our way to fight through me. And when the time came, I would take my rightful place as clan elder and would undertake the blessed curse that is family leadership. Now, those dreams are gone. It began a mere two months before my 13th birthday. At the time, the Tiger's Paw clan was on the verge of making clan history. You see, my father had become a finalist in the annual Kumal Tournament of Combat Arts. Each year, clans all over the country of Shanto would gather in Kerala City's clan lands to take part. To the winner went the title of Kalshara, and until the next Kumal would enjoy several privileges there too. For some, it was money, for others, companionship, and for even others, indulgences that no one would ever admit to in decent company. The Kalshara's very whim was equivalent to a command from the High Elder himself. 
This year, though, the stakes were considerably raised. Lars Rondoki, elder and master trainer of the Clan of the Midnight Fang, wagered his clan's possession of the Kalpak in this year's tournament. While the Grand Council applauded such a noble gesture, those not at once awestruck by the Rondoki clan knew the real reason behind the wager. Intimidation. Lars was the ten-year Cabal champion and took advantage of the Kalshara's inherent influence to keep several ancient clan practices alive, all in the name of building a strong family. This included an uncomfortable tradition in clan history about how they kept lineage consistency. While the clan introduced some new blood into the fold on occasion, it didn't take a genius to figure out the amount of rampant incest going on behind the estate's walls. No explicit evidence of this existed, but given the size of their clan, the evidence was overwhelming. Any new blood taken in was through a very selective process. Given that a black panther is a deviation of a leopard, they're statistically rare if they're not purposely bred. Even when found, any potential candidates had to be perfect. No blemishes in their fur pattern allowed. As a result of this, many who would be perfect for them often purposely dyed parts of their fur to dissuade the Rondoki from taking them. However, once they discover the ruse, the Rondoki take them as fresh genetic material for their line. It's said that the moment a Rondoki female comes into heat, she has three choices. Mate and conceive, hide and risk a beating upon discovery, or take their own life. Typically, they merely accept their duty and snag the first male they can find. The mating is constant, too. They continue throughout their cycle in hopes of conceiving, lest they become the victims of an even more vicious beating afterward. As a result of all this behavior, the Midnight Fang clan has a small standing army composed entirely of family members. To modern society, this may sound sick, but during the Age of Warlords, clans did what they could to amass a strong army for their masters. If that meant a father would bet his wives, daughters, and granddaughters all in one night, then so be it. Sorry, I got a little off track. Where was I? The Kalpak is an ancient religious icon, a statuette of the war god Ratal. Legend speaks of this icon granting invulnerability to whichever clan possessed it. For some, that legend made sense, given Lars' continued victories in the Kumal every year. For my clan, there was another reason to celebrate this night. My mother, Kira, was pregnant with her sixth child. Uh, by my father, just so you know. The Calamars haven't practiced army building since before the Ascensions. While my father moved into the final round of the tournament, mother was in the hospital. Usually, the clans employed the services of midwives, but this time, everyone agreed that mother would be better off under the care of a doctor. My grandmother and two sisters kept vigil at the hospital, while my grandfather, two brothers, and I remained at the Kumal to cheer father on. The final contest to decide next year's Kalshara was to take place between my father and Lars Rondoki, both of whom had all but crushed their opponents on their way to this point. Unlike the training in a war hall, the Kumal was a first circle or full contact contest. Over the years, many of its participants returned home broken, bloody, and in some cases, dead. 
While killing a combatant did not merit a disqualification from the tournament, it most certainly did nothing for one's honor or reputation. Any deaths in the past century had been the result of an accident and usually resulted in a substantial payment made to the victim's clan on the part of the offender. The fight was long and downright bloody between my father and Lars. The Rondoki fighting art of Saras involved the use of any edged weapon from known history. From a simple kitchen knife to the heaviest of the ancient Rakshi blades, the Midnight Fang soldiers knew how to use it, and use it well. For this contest, Lars had armed himself with what appeared to be a Talafna blade. It was a dagger-like weapon with an edge on only one side. It proved effective given the number of bleeding cuts my father was suffering. I was amazed at how resilient my father was. Despite his blood loss, he barely faltered and gave as good as he got. Lars' left eye was already swollen shut, and he was spitting out bloody globs of phlegm every few moments, a sign that his muzzle had been severely injured. If nothing else, I would say Lars was beginning to reel from father's attacks. He seemed to stagger around like a drunkard after a time, and his attacks were both slow and sloppy. At this point, I was sure even my youngest brother could have finished him off. There was no need for that, though, for my father wasn't finished just yet. With a last surge of fury, he pummeled Lars into the ground. The image of my father, a bare-chested tiger, both arms raised in roaring triumph over the fallen panther, was the single proudest moment of my life. The judges all agreed that it had been a clean battle and that my father had indeed beaten Lars Rondoki fairly. Finally, the reign of the Midnight Fang as Kalshara was at an end. It's funny how things suddenly descend from their highest highs to their lowest lows. My father wavered and he eventually collapsed on the mat due to exhaustion and blood loss. We all rushed to his side to make sure he was all right. The on-site medical teams indicated that he needed transport to the hospital for a much-needed transfusion. Pride turned to guilt as I thought of all my father had done for his clan, only to nearly die from it. As he was being loaded onto a stretcher, he turned to me and with a weakened yet still strong voice said, My son. I leave it to you to finish the right. Make me proud. I... I will, father, I stammered out. He smiled, and I watched as the paramedics loaded him onto the aerial ambulance for transport to the hospital. I bid my grandfather and brothers to go with him. I would call Norell, our estate driver, to take me to the hospital after the right finished. That one selfless moment turned out to be the worst mistake of my life. I contacted Norell once the ride ended. We agreed that I would wait outside the Great Hall of the Clans for him, and we would head for Kerala City with all due haste so I could be there when Mother gave birth. He responded that he would be there shortly. As I finished my conversation with him, I gazed up at the night sky. It never ceased to amaze me how... Even though science and physical evidence have revealed all but the deepest mysteries of the stars, they still enthralled people with wonder. A night sky filled with millions of violent primordial nuclear reactors was still the perfect setting for an evening stroll, the embrace of a lover, 
or mere self-reflection. I wondered if the patrons had been cheering for Father like the rest of us, and were celebrating as much as we planned to. I suddenly heard rustling from some nearby bushes. My whiskers stretched forward, tasting the electricity in the air, and trying to detect what was going on. I could feel my small muscles tense and my fists clench and unclench. My claws also flexed out of instinct, but, trimmed as they were, they were useless in a fight. Strike one against societal hygiene. Out of the bushes emerged four beings, each wearing swords on their hips and black masks over their muzzles. In the darkness, I could see no discernible marks to identify them, but the weapons they carried told me volumes about their intent. Give us the statue, boy, snarled one of them. He stretched his hand out, as if by merely uttering this command, I would obey. Hand it over, and you may yet live to see another day. The Kalpak is the property of the victor, I said, doing my best to mask my growing fear. It is not for thieves such as you. My threats didn't faze them. Why would they? Instead of stopping, the four of them drew their swords and charged me. I turned from them and ran as fast as my legs would carry me. I crashed into the brush and after a few moments began to turn towards the main road. With any luck, I'd reach it and would either intercept Norell on his way here or possibly flag down someone for help. As I ran, I could hear them behind me, shouting orders to each other. I felt thankful that in such low light, even a tiger such as me could melt easily into the undergrowth and disappear. When I think about it now, were my head not so filled with the images of those blades, I would have found a place and kept covered. Perhaps then they would have given up on their chase and let me be. Oh, the clarity of hindsight. Instead, I ran through the brush for what felt like an eternity, trying to avoid capture by even one of my four pursuers. The underbrush's thorns shredded my clothes and covered my body in scratches. They didn't break the skin, but I felt them through my fur. I'd be feeling them for a few days after if I survived this ordeal. I could feel my strength beginning to wane far too quickly as I ran. I was only a cub, unused to this kind of exertion. I was fast becoming too winded to continue. My arms and legs burned, but I couldn't stop. There was no way in all seven hells that I was going to let those four Paklas take from me that which I swore to protect. They'd have to take it from my cold, dead fingers. Finally, I broke through the bushes and began a flat-out run across an open field. I could see the main road just ahead of me. Just a handful of meters separated me from my salvation. Just the thought that I was so close seemed to re-energize my aching muscles, and I summoned up every ounce of strength I had. I pumped my arms and let a low growl escape my muzzle as I scrambled for that stretch of road just ahead. I never heard them crash through the brush mere moments later. I never bothered to look behind me, nor did I even chance to look down and see that depression before me. Suddenly, my left leg sunk, and the momentum of my body changed too quickly for my mind to process. I felt my left ankle twist, and with a yowl I crashed hard to the ground. All at once the adrenaline faded from my young body, and the pain came on in wave after wave of agony. 
My ankle throbbed violently, and my legs and arms burned from their recent workout. My mind was still racing, still trying to urge me onward, but with a bum ankle and muscles pushed past any sane limit, there was no escape. I turned and faced my attackers, dropping into the fighting stance my father had taught me. My heart was pounding and my mind screaming to run, but I knew whether I fought or ran, I wasn't going home this night, or any night for that matter. Better to show the patrons that I'd sooner die fighting than running from four cowards who fought behind masks. The four of them caught up to me in mere moments and fell upon me like a plague. I swung and kicked for all I was worth. A few punches even connected, weak as they were. I did manage to land one solid kick to an attacker's groin, but when his comrade's sword slashed at me, any measure of satisfaction I'd taken from the kick was gone. The blade bit deep, scraping against bone and turning my thigh muscle into a useless blob of tissue. A stream of blood spurt from the open wound and entire universes of pain exploded in my head. I think I screamed. Or maybe I just roared defiantly and kept swinging, trying in vain to beat back my attackers. I threw a punch at one of them, only to have another slice into my arm, severing my triceps muscle from the tendons that held it to the bone. Again, I can't remember if I screamed, though I do remember falling when they severed my calf muscles on both legs. My ears were ringing so much that I couldn't tell if they were laughing as they rolled me onto my back. Their swords flashed repeatedly, cutting through flesh and muscle, but never severing the bone. By the time they finished with me, my muscles hung off my limbs like mere slabs of twaro meat. I heard no final words or threats as they took the satchel holding the kalpak from me and melted back into the night. I remember staring up at the sky again, straining to keep my eyes open in the wake of the growing darkness around me. I felt deathly cold, but there was nothing I could do about it. It didn't matter anyway, though. I was going to die out here. Alone. I didn't even have the strength to whisper a plea for forgiveness to my father, or to the patrons. All I could do was listen to my shallow breathing and my ever-fading heartbeat until finally, that one excruciating moment hit when my mind screamed its last. My vision filled with a white light so intense I thought my eyes would burn away to nothingness. My body tensed, and I uttered a final, pathetic whimper. Then, all was darkness. So there we go. Dallin's journey has started, though it sounds like it's already ended. What happens next? Well, you'll have to wait until next week to find out. Again, I want to say hello and welcome to anyone coming over from the original Outcast podcast feed. When I was setting up the feed for this show, I noticed I still had some subscribers on the original feed, and I didn't want to leave anyone hanging. So, if you're coming over from the Outcast feed, feel free to go back and listen to episode one of this podcast so you can find out my goals for this show. And I hope you'll subscribe here as well. I was somewhat productive this week as far as writing goes. Chapter 1 of Outcast's sequel, tentatively called A New Beginning, is underway, but 
I also was working on some of the character sketches for the cast. As I've been fleshing more things out on this project, I've had to make some changes to character arcs, demeanors, and attitudes for many of them. In one case, I had to change a name owing to certain present, well, colloquialisms that have become more mainstream. That one was hard to do, given how long I've worked with this character. Now, I don't want to wax too much on this point right now, at least not yet. Suffice it to say, the sequel is underway and should be done well in advance of the end of this Outcast run. So, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the show at feeds.feedburner.com slash kickinthecast, all one word, and that way you won't miss a single episode. Also, on the blog site at kickit.yo5.ca, I've also added the SpeakPipe widget, so you can leave a voicemail if you'd like. Now, I'm just testing it out, so I opted for the free subscription option, which allows only a 90-second recording each time. However, if folks start using it more often, I'll look at upgrading the subscription to the next level, once I'm working again. Priorities. But until next time, please, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.